We're about eaten out uh, here. Everyone has certainly given us uh, wonderful things to partake of. Men and women have prepared food, and it's just been uh, been a great feast that way, as well as what we're considering here in the book of John. Uh, I wanted to make a comment beginning chapter 14 here. Of course, we go through 14, 15, 16, and 17 at the Passover service because it is so deep and so meaningful. But John is the only one of the four Gospels who really goes into what Christ had to say to them in detail that night. Uh, The Bible is a very abridged book, if you consider that it covers 6,000 years of man's existence, and uh, only certain things here and there are picked out. There's an awful lot that is not written, and uh, John uh, was one who had the personality and the approach to get to the emotional, to the, let's say, human side of things in a sense that the others didn't touch they dwelt with the facts they dwelt with the happenings they dwelt somewhat on the uh, emotions and feelings and so on but understand that Christ here had been with these disciples with them day and night traveling together living together eating together uh, walking and talking together for three and a half years And he was about to die uh, the very next day. So what he had to say here had to be uh, done with a great deal of feeling, of emotion, of his deepest feelings for them, and the best advice that he felt he could give them uh, as he ceased to be with them day day, day in and day out from that point on. He would come back to visit after he had been resurrected, but uh, it was a minimal uh, amount of time together, whereas this had been a daily thing all the way through. So we saw last night that he was troubled inside when he, even when considering what Judas was about to do, uh, he was one who had very, very deep feelings for people. And as God on earth, he and the Father who created us have very deep feelings for us. I think the very fact, again, that he counts the numbers of our hairs and not even a sparrow falls to the earth, that he is not aware. Uh, I was just driving down the highway the other day and some little bird hit my windshield and I thought, boy, alive one moment and completely dead without even knowing it a split second later I felt bad about hitting the bird but I didn't even see it coming I was just going down the highway and uh, it was on its way to build a nest this spring and and raise babies or or be a papa or whatever <laughs> that whatever sex it was and uh, that was snuffed out in a split second and no consciousness there that the father and the son are very, very aware of us. And if they note birds that fall uh, and they count our hairs, uh, then that means that they have a very, very deep interest in the rest of us, our minds and our emotions and our feelings and our future. 
So he even recognized here with Peter at the end of chapter 13 that we read last night that uh, the spirit indeed was willing, but the flesh was weak. Peter said, I'll, I'll stick with you, I'll die with you. And, and uh, the other disciples agreed with that in another account. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know, you, you have that feeling and that desire, but you're going to turn tail and run. <laughs> you're not that far along yet. Before the cock, the cock crows three times, you'll have denied me three times. So he knew what he was dealing with here with human beings, still carnal, did not even have God's Spirit residing in them at that point. They did not have converted minds. <clears throat> so they only had human uh, thought and emotions to deal with. So he starts in then, and, and uh, John gives a great deal of detail here in the feelings that Christ had and what direction he wanted them to go. So there's a great deal of instruction for us. And we read through it, and it's, I think, pretty emotional on Passover evening to go through these things that he said before he died. But uh, we'll go back through it now, and uh, I'll do some comments here and there and expound it a bit. Uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, he's giving some encouragement right here at the very beginning of this. Don't be troubled that I'm leaving. You believe in God. You might as well believe in me too. I'm not leaving you forever. In my Father's house are many mansions, uh, houses, offices, uh, opportunities, however you wish to translate that. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And there will be a place. I'm making it for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Same statement that we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 uh, about how once we're resurrected, we'll be ever with him. We'll never leave his side again. I think Judas says, Jude, the book of Jude says something very similar to that. Well, it says he'll be coming with ten thousands of his saints. Well, the first time he comes, he doesn't have the saints with him. He brings them off, he resurrects them and brings them up in the air. Uh, but when he takes them to his father's throne for the marriage and the honeymoon, when he comes back, they'll be with him. Not millions, just the first resurrection, 144,000, tens of thousands. So we will be with him at all times. And then when he comes back again, uh, with his vesture dipped in blood, it says all the saints are with him there. So we'll come to help him subdue, subdue the earth and then to rule the earth for a thousand years. So he's reminding them of the things that I'm sure he had told them in detail earlier, uh, that this, this isn't the end of the road, boys, I'll be back. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. I've told you where I'm going, and the way I'm going, and all about it. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not where you go, and how can we know the way? Uh, you may have told us, but <laughs> we don't get it. It's hard to recognize, and it is for us even sitting here, that God's throne is in the sides of the north, up in the heavens, and you look and you get big telescopes and you still can't see it. Uh, we don't know exactly, and uh, he was somewhat confused and frustrated here. 
uh, he, he wanted to see him in person. Remember at some point then uh, he, he wanted to feel him, to touch him, to be sure it was him because he was doubting Thomas. Emmanuel said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to me but the Father, or come to the Father, but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Well, you know, we have our doubts, but why don't you just show us the Father? And that way we've seen him. Well, that's not the way it was going to work. Emmanuel said to him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? You want, you want me to double up here? No, we're one and the same. Uh, we think alike. We look alike. Uh, you've seen me. What more do you need? Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. Now, we haven't seen the Father or the Son, have we? Not like they saw Christ. So, we're in double jeopardy here, not having seen Father or Son. And yet, Paul gives us a clue there in Romans 1, verse 20, I think, where he says that the invisible things of him are seen through the creation. Uh, so, when we look at what God has made around us and the incredible beauty that is here and how involved it is and all the symbiotic relationships between animals and plants and, and how intricate the whole world is and even our own bodies that are fearfully and wonderfully made, we see the Father and the Son in the things that they've done. And I know I've comforted myself with that at times when I thought, you know, the Father and the Son are their spirit, and I'm flesh, and I react <clears throat> through the five senses to physical things. And I don't comprehend being spirit and not having the five senses in the same way that I do now. Now, God has emotions, He has feelings, He has senses. All through the Bible it talks about Him seeing and feeling and knowing and, and touching and his heart and his head and his mind and all the things about God are in there. But we don't understand spirit completely and fully by any means. So to me, I get my perspective and focus by getting where I can see the creation of God around me. And that encourages me that someone who made me and made all those things that I respond to uh, is somebody that I want to be around forevermore. You know, I've been to some beautiful places on this earth with clear waters and, and uh, tropical uh, settings that are just spectacular. I've been to mountains and rivers and seashores that are spectacular and seen so many things <clears throat> that God has made. Now I'm seeing man polluting it and scarring it with cities and trash and pollution of all kinds, but if you strip that away and look at what God made, it's pretty impressive. And I want to be around somebody that made that and could make some more of it. That's, that's, that's my kind of guy, <laughs> you know, if you will. Uh, somebody that can make the beauty of these mountains around us. Uh, that's, 
that's somebody I want to get to know better. So, believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now, they were to do some pretty impressive works uh, just a short time after this on Pentecost, when spectacular healings would occur with just a shadow passing and people would be healed. Uh, there was even a resurrection or two. So, uh, did they do more great works than Christ did? Well, perhaps not, but are they going to shortly when they're in the kingdom of God as as the leaders of the twelve tribes? Uh, yeah, there's an awful lot of great works to be done in the future, far beyond what Christ did in a small sampling here on the earth. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, we all like answer to prayer, don't we? We wouldn't pray unless we wished for an answer. But he says, whatever you ask in my name or by my authority, and as he says in another place, uh, according to my will, I will do. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it, he says here in verse 14. So we have to be sure that what we ask is not in our name or somebody else's name, but in his name, by his authority, according to his will. Because he's not going to do something for us that we ask that is contrary to his way of life. He says in the next verse, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that it may abide with you forever. So, his will was good toward us, but if we're not keeping his commandments, we can't expect uh, answers from him. Acts 5.29, he gives his spirit to them that obey. So if we're keeping the commandments, then it is within his will and in his purpose to hear and answer our prayers. But we have to be sure those prayers go along with his ways. So the more we know about him and the more we know about his word, the easier it's going to be to pray according to his will. Verse 17, this comforter, even the spirit of truth, whom the, eternal, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees it not, neither knows it, but you know it, <coughs> for it dwells with you and shall be in you. <coughs> they had seen the Spirit of God through Christ who dwelt with them, but it was shortly to dwell in them, to be part of their mind. <coughs> I hope this doesn't get worse here. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not sick. It just I start talking and it strains it a little bit, and then the the cough comes. Um. Verse eighteen. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me, because I live. You shall live also. All is not dire. You're not going to die and be forgotten. You're going to live. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, 
He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, you can get into Paul's writings, and he wrote some things hard to be understood, Peter said. And you can try to make a case for the commandments being done away with, because it can be twisted that way somewhat if you're not totally honest with the Scripture. But how do you twist this? What's enigmatic about verse 21? What's so hard to understand there? Are they done away with? When he said back there, I didn't come to fulfill the law, I mean to, uh, to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And people say, well, he, he fulfilled it so we don't have to keep it. Well, is that what he meant? <clears throat> what he said back in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 has to be understood in the light of what he said here in verse 21. He that has my commandments and keeps them. That's the one that loves me. This is the love of God that you keep the commandments, 1 John 5, 3. So, Christ made some very, very clear statements. And if anybody gives you a hassle over Matthew there about not destroying the law, or in some of Paul's writings where it says this means the law is done away, take it back to this one. It's very clear. Christ himself said, out of his own mouth, you don't love me unless you keep my commandments, and I will love you if you do keep my commandments. So they're still very much in effect. Can't be said any plainer than that. <clears throat> and this was his last instruction to his disciples. The one that meant, in that sense, the most. A summary of what had come before. And there's a lot about commandment keeping here in these, these very chapters in this, in this one teaching session. Judas said to him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Emmanuel answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Their spirit would come to combine with our mind and spirit so that we could understand spiritual things and that he would actually be with us, a comfort, a help. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So he just said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, and that's my saying. So he says, if you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. Is that plain? The word which you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's. These things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you. I'm still here. Uh, this is my parting advice. This is the last thing I'm going to tell you. Uh, pay attention here. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, it shall teach you all things. There's a parallel to this. Have you ever had anybody who is trying to prove the commandments of God are done away bring you to this section? <laughs> They, they would avoid this like the plague. They're not going to come here. They're going to go to something that appears obscure or unclear. But Herbert Armstrong gave us good advice on that. He said, always use the clear scriptures to understand and explain the ones that are not clear. 
Same with the Passover. Understand Exodus 12 and 13. Understand uh, all the Scriptures through the Bible. And then Leviticus 23, 6 comes pretty clear. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, it shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is uh, that essence, that part of the power of God's mind that He has to come and mingle with our mind to give us spiritual understanding. The world cannot understand. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, gives I to you. How does the world give? Well, they'll give you peace and then they'll take it away. They'll give you something and be an Indian giver and then try to take it back. He's not giving you something that he's going to take back. The only way God's mind and spirit would leave you if you reject it. But he won't withdraw it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You're not, you won't see me, but I'm not leaving you. You heard how I said to you, I go away and come again. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So even the fact that I'm going away is another proof of who I am, because I told you that's what I was going to do. Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. So he says, I'm going away to my father's throne. I'm not going to talk with you very much anymore. He did come back after his resurrection and spend a little time with them. And he spent some time in the desert with Paul, apparently, for three and a half years, teaching him the same things he'd taught the, these disciples. But he hasn't talked much uh, with anybody since then here on the earth. Well, why? The prince of the power is the present ruler of this world. Uh, he is the prince of the power of the air. He is the one who sets the cultures. He's the one who dominates the thinking of the whole world around us. And Christ said, I'm out of that. I've given him a certain amount of time to dominate here. I promised it to him, so he's getting it. Now, that doesn't mean that he and Christ are in a battle here for the attention of the world. If they're in a battle, then Satan's winning a battle against Christ, and that's not going to happen. There's no battle going on in that sense. Uh, he's turned it over to Satan to rule it for the time being. Now, he's going to make hay out of that in the sense that the horrible lessons that mankind is learning through Satan's culture will help them be humbled and accept God's culture later on when Christ does take rule and binds the devil. So God is going to make it turn into good, even though what we see all around us is utterly evil, uh, day and night. And we're back to the times of Noah when it was violence and evil continually. And it's about to be destroyed again. but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So he let them know, uh, I'll send the Holy Spirit, that will help you. 
but I'm not going to be here for a while. <clears throat> this is Satan's time. Now, with us, it's a little different than it is with the world. Satan is not supposed to be dominating you and me. We're to take on the whole armor of God, and he is not to affect us. We're supposed to rebuke him. We're supposed to get away from him. Now, he still goes before the Father and the Son, day and night, accusing us before them. He's not concerned about the rest of the world. He has them in his hind pocket. He's concerned with us. He's trying to destroy us because he knows that we're to marry Christ. And he doesn't want Christ to marry the church. He wants to, he wants to destroy that wedding, if at all possible. And he wants to destroy your opportunity to be part of that wedding. So he's up there. He knows your name. He knows my name. He knows us all very, very well. Satan knows your weaknesses and mine. He knows the areas that our minds aren't godly. And he takes those things before the Father and the Son, day in and day out, accusing us. He is the accuser of the brethren. And then when we become accusative of each other, uh, we are playing into Satan's hands. We're doing his job for him. So we, we can't let ourselves go that way. If we have enemies, we don't want to accuse them. If they accuse us, that's on their head. But we're not to, we're not to return that. We are not to be accusers. We are to uh, care. We are to pray. We are to ask God's guidance on people. We are to love our enemies as much as we can. That doesn't mean we're to kowtow to them and condone wrong thinking or wrong actions, but uh, we're not to accuse. That's not our job. That's Satan's job. God's job is to forgive, and our job is to be like him and be forgiving and kind and loving. And it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come natural. we got work to do. Fifteen, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. If you're a good, if you're a good tree, uh, you'll get pruned. <laughs> That's what they do with trees and grapevines. Uh, they prune them back so the new growth will bring more fruit. With grapes especially, they cut those things back to where it just looks like a stalk that couldn't even live. They don't do fruit trees that way, but grapevines, which is what he's talking about here, a vine is, man, he purges it back to the quick. If you've seen where they have vineyards... Uh, that's all that's left. Basically, is the stump with a few very short, big branches left. So he keeps working with us. He keeps pruning us, taking care of us, uh, watering us, digging and dunging so that uh, we can produce more and more. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. He's given them good words. He's given them the right way of thinking, and this kind of thinking cleans our minds up. Abide in me, and I in you. Think on these things. Think on what I've told you. Think on the words of God. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Bible study isn't just to get in 30 minutes of spiritual time. Bible study and considering the words of God is there to remind us how God thinks and what His words are so that we will abide in Him and not have the thoughts of the devil in the, in the world. If you're not reviewing His words, it's hard to follow His words. How many times do you have to be reminded to do something? What about your children? How many times do you have to remind them, wash your hands before you touch the food? Uh, wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, you know? Uh, put your clothes away. Put your toys away. How often do we remind our children? Continually. Because they forget so easily, and they don't have good habits. They have bad, sloppy, lazy habits, selfish habits. So they have to be remanded constantly and reminded of those things so that they will do them. And there have to be penalties. Uh-oh, I told you to do this, and you didn't do it. Smack. Oh, now I got your attention. Maybe you'll do it next time. We're the same. We have to go to God and talk to Him, and we have to open His Word and let Him talk to us. That's the way, the primary way He talks to us is through these words. So we need to abide in Him, with Him. There's the reason for Bible study, not just to do it because the preacher said you ought to. Without Him, we can do nothing. It's His Spirit that helps us to accomplish spiritual things, and we can't without His mind. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So if we get separated from him through laziness, through lack of uh, diligence, uh, then we don't produce anything because we're not connected and we're not receiving. His Spirit's not flowing through us. Just like a branch that is disconnected from the tree or the root doesn't get nourishment up through the roots and the trunk of the tree, and it dies. It doesn't produce anything. If we don't have continual connection to Christ, <clears throat> we're going to spiritually wither and won't be worth anything. Have you noticed that if you are regularly and diligently praying and reading the Bible, that your thoughts tend to be better? But when you forget about it and you go a period of time without immersing yourself in prayer and study that you think more carnally and your actions are more carnal or your reactions are more carnal and more human than they are godly because that spirit is not being renewed. He says the spirit has to be renewed day by day. It's a, it's a continual process to stay connected. If a husband and wife never talk, do they stay connected? No, they begin to drift apart. If you don't call and talk to your children, do you drift apart? Yes, you do. Uh, so, it's the same with God. The relationships have to be built. Communication has to be there, or they fall apart. <clears throat> if you abide in me, verse 7, 
and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. So, if we are closely connected to Him, and our communication and our relationship is solid and good and true, well connected, then we are more, far more likely to get our prayers answered than if not. So that's why Laodiceanism and slack, lazy, spiritual attitudes and approach are something that God deplores. Because that kind of uh, ho-hum approach destroys our relationship with God. And it's the relationship He's concerned about. He wants us to be close to Him. And He wants our reactions to be spiritual instead of carnal. And He knows if we're just sort of going through the motions and not working at it, that our relationship with Him is going to suffer. He doesn't want a half-hearted relationship. When he marries his wife, <clears throat> he wants it to be strong and emotional and close and close communication and peace and joy between he and his bride. He doesn't want one that says, Oh, well, I've, i got my teddy bear with me. I'm all tucked in bed, and I don't want to get up and open the door for you, like we see in Song of Songs. No, he wants a relationship that is strong and true. And you're much more likely to get things from him that you desire if that is solid that way. <clears throat> Here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. A strong tree uh, grows strong limbs and produces good and a lot of fruit. He wants us to produce fruit. And what is fruit? Fruit is the things that help people. You eat fruit, it fills your tummy, it makes you feel better, it tastes good, uh, it's pleasant to eat good things that come off of a tree that are ripe and pleasant to the taste. <clears throat> and when people are around us, they need to feel satisfied. They need to feel filled. They need to feel uh, feel wanted, needed, loved, uh, kindness, mercy. Uh, they need to feel better having been around us, not feel worse. That is fruit. That is the Spirit of God working to produce good feelings, good relationships, between us and others. So when it says bear much fruit, that's what it's talking about. That which is good and is pleasant and helpful. Serving. Doing good for people. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. Now who, who bore the most fruit? Christ did. His sacrifice... And his love today are enough to give the whole world peace and happiness and security in the millennium. That fruit will not be born until then because Satan's evil works are here for another short little while. As the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. So he had served them, he had fed them, he'd make them comfortable. He had instructed them in good things. He, he bore much fruit to them. 
These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So he says, me being around you and talking to you has made you more joyful. It's made your life better and more pleasant to understand and to hear the things that I've told you. And I want your joy to be full. Maybe there's a, a key word we could say here. How do people feel when they've been around you? Do they feel better or do they feel worse? There's your good litmus test right there. Of course, we have our human nature and we have our self-deception. And uh, we may think that people are enthralled just by hearing us and hearing our voice and that they are just mesmerized by our, our wonderfulness. And they love to hear everything we have to say because it is so important. If it wasn't important, we wouldn't be saying it. So uh, we think everything we say, I guess, is probably everybody just is on pins and needles to hear more from us. <laughs> uh, but sometimes we deceive ourselves. And sometimes they smile and be polite and, uh, and move on as soon as possible. So we need to be sure that it is genuine and that they do feel better if they've been around us. I, I think we've all got work to do in, in this area. Greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. So he's offering friendship. He doesn't say it's automatic. We have to do the things he says in order to be his friend. See, friendship requires communication. It requires give and take. It requires uh, work to have a friendship. It requires work to keep His commandments, doesn't it? It doesn't come natural. The most natural thing for me there is, as a human being, is to break His commandments. That's just automatic. So easy to do. Fun to do sometimes. The temporary pleasures of sin. So, keeping the commandments is hard work. Controlling our thoughts and where they go and where we let them stray is hard work. But that is his commandment, that we love each other and we follow his commands with each other. There they again, they're summed up. Love the Father more than anything else. I heard somebody not too long ago say, my family is everything. And that scared me. It truly did. Because God has to be everything. Our family is secondary. Our wife, our mate is secondary. Land, home, everything is secondary. He says you've got to love me more than father, mother, brother, sisters, uh, aunts, your own children. Uh, we have to put them in God's hands. Uh, and we, if we put our children ahead of God, then that is idolatry. He loves our children more than we do, whether we know it or not. So we have to do His commandments, and then we become His friend. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. I mean, you know, if you hire somebody, you don't tell them everything about you and your family and your feelings and wants. Uh, you just tell them what to do. And they make dinner, or they clean the house, or they wash the car, or whatever. Uh, 
But a friend is someone you sit down and talk with and share your feelings and hopes and dreams and and uh, all that is about you. So he said, I'm offering you more than just being a servant. Uh, I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known to you. Well, he's passed it along. Isn't that what a friend does? You've got good information, they pass it along to each other. Not gossip, not bad news, but and not evil, but good stuff. That's what real friends do. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. If we can help others, uh, then those memories and that help remain. That is good fruit. But whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Well, if you're really producing and, and you're doing well and, and you're following God's ways and you're being nice to people, uh, God can't help but favor you and want to do things for you and, and uh, bless you. It's when we became selfish and more or less shut him out and shut each other out and got selfish that he blew the church apart. Now he wants us to become fervent in our relationship with Him and with each other. And if we do that, then He will turn His face back to us and bless us again. So the ball is in our court. These things I command you, that you love one another. That's it. Love one another. Simple. It's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten words. Just ten words. That's all it takes. Love him and love one another. <clears throat> if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So don't think it's strange. <laughs> if you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They don't like spiritual things. They don't like God's influence. They don't like God's teachings. So... Naturally, they're not going to like you. Now, if they do like you, you're probably too much like them. Barroom buddies, Willie and somebody sang. Oh, I guess it was Clint Eastwood, that song, after a movie. We're barroom buddies, and that's the best kind. We, we like each other. We buy each other drinks. We think alike. Well, they were in a wrong environment, and they probably weren't thinking the right way. But uh, if one of them had been sitting there on the bar stool drinking and saying that, and the other one had said, I don't think I need to be here, there's nothing good going to come of this, then they wouldn't have liked each other. So if we're thinking like the world and reacting like the world, then the world will like us. But if we're acting like God... There's a natural animosity that is there because the carnal mind hates God. It just does. So if you find people in the world are liking you too much, you might better re-examine yourself. Now, they may respect you if you're nice and kind and gentle and loving. But if they suspect that it's God's way and it's, and it's God you're responding to, that they don't like. <coughs> If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they've kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Well, they didn't in both cases. They hated him. Why? He was a nice guy. He was kind. He was gentle. He was loving. He was giving. He was serving. He healed. He helped. He encouraged. He did all the good things you could do, but they hated him with a passion. Because he was of God. But all these things will they do to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He says, I came, I told them, and uh, they don't believe it, so they can't hide. they got no way to get away where we can't see their sin. He that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. He says, I came and did good, and they hated me for it. Now they hate my father too, even though they say they worship him. But this comes to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. No cause. He had given them no cause. It doesn't take much to be hated, does it? (laughs) You don't have to do much to get hated. If you obey God, you're going to get hated. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So I've been teaching you these three and a half years, and uh, what you are going to say is going to be a witness as well. Chapter 16, These things have I spoken to you, that you should not be offended. He says, I'm letting you know ahead of time. They hated me without cause, and they'll hate you the same way. And don't be offended by it and discouraged by it. Uh, realize it just comes with the territory. It's, it's just part of existence. Why did they stone all the prophets in the past? They didn't want to hear what they had to say. They killed the messenger. Well, those prophets, all of them, that wrote the Old Testament, were they not all sent by God? Weren't they all inspired by God? And yet Israel stoned them, killed them, uh, persecuted them, every one of them, without exception. So it comes with the territory. If we obey God, even the people of Israel hated the prophets that God sent. God sent Herbert Armstrong. And he did a mighty work in calling people to the truth. But he tried to obey God. Now, he wasn't perfect, but he tried to obey God. And a lot of people came to hate that man. He was, he was spending day and night, even in his 80s and up to his 90s, trying to write, trying to preach, trying to travel, trying to get the message out. Uh, and all he got was criticism from some people. Not all. Many people respected what he was trying to do. But carnal human nature can come up and they're not looking for the good that's being done. They're trying to find evil. If you look for evil, you'll find it. If, if you can't find it, you'll dream it up. You'll think it. You'll concoct it. 
That's what they had to do with Christ. They had to concoct evil because there was none there, period. Now, with all the prophets, uh, there was some evil there. They were human. They all had their problems. Uh, and boy, did people zero in on it. But they hated the Word as well. It wasn't just the prophet because of him being human. They didn't like the words that God sent through those prophets. So, we're going to be put in the position of the prophets. <laughs> the whole world's going to hate every one of us. They're going to hate us with a passion. And they're going to think they do God a service by killing us through martyrdom. That's coming. And then he says it in verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. He's going to think he's worshiping God, and he's going to think that killing you is a service to God if you obey God, if you are a servant of God. How twisted can humans get? Well, the Pharisees were twisted up that way. They thought by a killing Christ, they were doing the Father in heaven a service. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, and Matthew 24 and Luke 21 show us that the conditions of that are right here upon us. You, remember, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I said not to you at the beginning, because I was with you. You didn't, know, you didn't need to know when I was with you well, what's coming on you. But now you need to know. <clears throat> and it came on those men, uh, all except the Apostle John who wrote this, were martyred, were killed. And those who killed them thought they were doing God's service. But they were; these things were written for us here at the end time as well. And it's coming again. Even the last two prophets God sends, they're going to kill just before Christ returns. So it, it hasn't stopped. It's still going on. But now I go away, or go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask, where do you go? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It, it's good for you, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send it to you. And when it is come, it will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because... They believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit of God is his essence, it's his mind, it's his, uh, a, a projection of his power. Uh, and his spirit, combined with our mind, helps us make right judgments and... Uh, to deal with the prince of this world until his judgment and his binding comes. The Holy Spirit is very, very important to us. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They weren't yet converted. Howbeit, when it, the Spirit of truth, has come, it will guide you into all truth. You can't understand this Bible without God's Spirit leading you and guiding you into it. Now, it wasn't the Spirit didn't dwell in you as a conception until you were baptized and had the laying on of hands. But your mind couldn't even begin to be open to what the truth is until God's Spirit began to react with your mind 
to open it to show you the things of God. Because you yourself have tried many times over the years to convince a friend, a relative, or somebody in the world of the things of God. I know a guy uh, back in the Midwest that he goes to restaurants, he goes to bus stations, he goes everywhere he can go, and he'll sit down and he'll buy people a cup of coffee, and then he'll start trying to give them church booklets and convince them of all these wonderful things that he knows. And he's been run out of a lot of places by the management because he's been harassing the customers and he's never gotten one to agree with what he has to say. Now, he thinks they're enthralled with the things he's saying, going back to my earlier comments. He thinks he's doing a lot of good. But he runs the person off and and the management runs him off. Uh, He's not accomplishing anything. He has listened to us in the time past, so... (laughs) <laughs> I doubt he'll hear this, but he might. But, hey, you, uh, listen up, wake up. You, you, the world can't understand the truth of God unless God opens their mind, and you can't do it. I can't do it. The Spirit of truth will guide you into the truth. It will not speak of itself, but whatever it shall hear, that shall it speak, and it will show us or show you things to come. Uh, it is only by the Spirit of God that we understand the prophecies, that we understand what's coming on this earth. The rest of the world doesn't understand, not in fullness in any way. They know trouble's coming. A lot of people in the world know there's trouble coming, because part of it's already here, but it's going to get a whole lot worse, and they recognize that, but they don't understand what God's doing and, and His purposes in all of it. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I that He shall take of mine and show it to you. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. So he went and was approved and came back and spent a little time with them. And in a larger sense, even, it isn't long until he comes back and receives us to himself. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is that he says to us, A little while, and you shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They didn't have a whole lot of spiritual grasp. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We don't know what he says. Now, Emmanuel knew that they were desirous to ask him and said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. Well, yeah, obviously. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your joy shall be turned into joy. So he says, life for you is not going to be easy. I, I hope we grasp and understand that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver them. Psalm 34, 19. Through much tribulation enter the kingdom. I think that's 2 Timothy 3, 12. Uh, there's, there's several scriptures like that, and uh, right here is one of them. You're going to see sorrow, you're going to lament, you're going to cry. Life is going to be tough if you follow God. That's all there is to it. But the world's going to be rejoicing all around you. Oh, we got a better job, and we got a new car, and, and our house is uh, being remodeled, and 
we're going to the Caribbean next week, and uh, life is a bowl of cherries. We're just having fun. We're going to get drunk this this weekend and just have a party like you never saw. Uh, the world is going to rejoice around us while we are beating ourselves into subjection and trying to bring our minds into the control of Christ. <clears throat> Tough to do under the best of conditions. And with the world around you going in the diametric opposite direction, it's tough. So weeping and lamenting is part of our life. Christ himself was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, he was fighting tooth and nail to keep every thought into control. He had to be after himself day and night, like Paul said of himself, in order to keep his mind and his emotions where they needed to be. Well, this is a hard life, but the reward is incredible. And that's what he says here. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. I don't know how to relate to that. I've, I've watched women in travail, <clears throat> and it didn't look like much fun. But I never was there myself. So I don't know exactly what that's like, but it is not pleasant. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. So we're going to go through sorrow here. It's going to be hard, and yet the minute we rise, or the second we rise off the ground to meet Christ in the air, uh, our travail, our hurt, our sorrow will be turned into joy and gladness that we can be born into the kingdom of God. And the anguish and the pain will never be remembered nor mentioned again. No more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. It's all right there in Revelation 20, 21. It'll all be forgotten and turned into joy. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. So even though we may have trials, troubles, tribulations, uh, injuries, disabilities, all kinds of problems, mental anguish, emotional trouble, uh, problems with each other, with children, with, you know, everything on this earth, even though we have trouble... Uh, they can't take away that which resides in our heart and mind that we can be God someday and all is going to be turned to joy. That sustains us. That hope is what keeps us going because life can be tough. But never forget what the future has. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I'll see you again and no, no man can take your joy from you. They, can, they might kill your body, but they can't take out of you that burning hope and desire to be God someday. And killing your body isn't going to stop that because you're going to be resurrected. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. That, that time, uh, he, we won't have to ask for anything. We'll have everything. Why do, you, why do you ask? You have nothing to ask for as the bride of Christ. 
Before now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. So if we get in line with his commandments and are keeping the first and the second commandment, uh, our will will be the same as his will, and he will answer us, and our joy will be full. He'll turn his face back to us and bless us in ways that we find even unimaginable today. These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but the time comes when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but I'll show you plainly of the Father. We're not in Proverbs now, are we? This is pretty plain. He's telling us about the world tomorrow, the world to come. He's showing us plainly about the Father through all these words. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not to you that I will pray the Father for you. Won't need to. For the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. So our strong bond and communication through Christ uh, is leading to the love of the Father returned to us. I came forth from the Father and, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Now you speak plainly and speak no proverb. Oh, you're going to go be with your father, and we're going to be there with you someday. All right, now, now we like that. Now are we sure that you know all things, and need not that any man should ask you? By this we believe that you came forth from God. Emmanuel answered them, Do you now believe? <laughs> There's always a certain question about every one of us until that belief is made absolutely real and is consummated in being glorified and marrying Christ. Uh, how much do we believe? How deep is our belief? Is it deep enough to withstand anything that Satan in this world can throw at us? If it's not, we need to be working at getting the depth spiritually that we need to be able to withstand that which is coming and be filled with God's Spirit because it isn't easy. And he goes on to say then, do you believe you're sitting here all together listening to me right now, but the hour comes, yes, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So he said, you're going to have to stand on your own, your own two feet. You're going to be scattered, every man to his own. Not one stone left upon another, he said there in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. We all have to get our relationship with God right. A lot of people in this scattering of the church have been pretty well left alone on their own devices to find God without good leadership. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. It's just, it's going to come. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And if he lives in us, then we can overcome the world as well because of his spirit and his power dwelling within us. Well, that's why it's so important that we be close to the Father and the Son and build that relationship so that we are truly the deepest, or have the truly deepest bond of friendship with them that is possible. 
David and Jonathan had a such a close relationship that it was described as even being closer than a marriage between a man and a woman. And it's hard to it's hard to be closer than that in a good marriage. But Christ and John had that kind of relationship, it appears, uh, where they they thought very much alike and reacted very much the same way and and were very, very deeply close. So we need to be close to these words of John from Christ and close to Christ and the Father so that we can overcome the world even as He overcame the world. So let's stop there then for today.